Zechariah. You may not know where that is in the Bible because you don't visit it much. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, uh, and uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. That's the 12 minor prophets. And it's uh, about uh, next to the last, uh, Zechariah, Malachi, which you mean it's next to the last. It's the 38th book of the 39 books of the Old Testament. Zechariah? is a book of visions. It's a hard book. I'll tell you, it's a hard book to interpret. I have preached out of Zechariah. This will be my maybe seventh sermon out of Zechariah in totality uh, out, of the, out of the book itself. Uh, so let me read you just a, a verse here, a couple verses in uh, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 22 to 23. And maybe later you go back and read the whole eighth chapter if you want to. It'll kind of give you a bigger overall perspective on these two verses. Because I believe a text without a context is a pretext. You need a context. The Bible's written in context. When you speak, you speak in context. Now, the media does not know anything about that principle. They will take you out of context. They will take a sentence, a half a sentence, a couple words, and, and twist it and make it look like you said something you didn't say, make it meaner than what you said, make it harder than what you said. Maybe you were even saying it in jest. They'll make it like as if it was serious. Context is extremely important when it comes to Bible interpretation. Uh, there is a context, a setting for what was said and how it was said, even though we don't have the, uh, the tone of, of what was said. We've lost that. That cannot be transmitted uh, in written language, but uh, uh, maybe maybe by the grace of God, the, the context will keep us out of trouble. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 22-23, Yea, my people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days, by the way, which are not have not happened, it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Boy, what a change in spirit that will be over the spirit the world has towards Jews. Have you ever asked yourself a question, why does the world hate Jews? Why is there so so much? Uh, why is there such an evil spirit towards the Jews? It's everywhere. Uh, some of it's hidden, but much of it is not hidden. There was a world war here a while back. Some of you know history, and uh, the Second World War was against mostly the axis of German Germany, mostly in Japan. And the Germany had a thing against Jews. He wanted to kill every Jew. He killed, it's reported that, he, that Hitler killed some 6 million Jews. However, what's not reported is he killed 6 million gypsies and handicapped. He believed in ridding the world of all handicapped people. And he took, got rid of gypsies because he felt like they were a polluted race. And so he also felt like the Jews had ruined the world. I wonder who was behind that. 
What do you, who do you think's an enemy of the Jews? You remember in the garden? Who tempted Adam and Eve? This Bible is heavy Bible quizzing today. Who tempted Adam and Eve? The devil. All right. What did God say would come out of Eve that would harm the serpent? A baby. The seed, not seeds, the seed, her seed, which was Christ, which was a Jew, would do what to his head? Crush his head. You want to kill a snake? Don't grab him by the tail. Smash his head. How many here do not like snakes? Raise your hand. Brother Barrels, I want you to raise your hand. You guys are prejudiced against snakes. But the serpent, called the old devil, you know, in the Bible, called, he's got 14 different names. Uh, the old serpent, I'll tell you what, he hates the woman who gave birth to the Messiah. And he has been after the Jews and the lineage of Christ since Eve and is even today, even though Christ came and defeated him and conquered him, he still wants to get vengeance and revenge upon the Jews. It just doesn't even make sense that there would be hatred like there is in the world against the Jews unless it was supernatural. And actually, it is supernatural, the serpent himself. And so there'll be a day that that whole thing of hating the Jews is going to reverse. Now, obviously, that hadn't happened. That's going to happen in what we call the millennium. How many here have heard of the millennium? Raise your hand. I'm trying to see what kind of audience. Well, we got an educated audience. So the millennium is, means 1,000, the word. The millennial period, the millennium is all the same. It's 1,000 years when Christ will rule and reign. The Bible, by the way, the Old Testament, there is a ton of prophecy in the Old Testament about this coming 1,000-year period. There was a promise to the children of Israel in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15 that they would, get, they would have the land, uh, they would have, of course, the ruling seed, and God would rule over them, the theocracy, the land, the seed, and the theocracy. It was a threefold promise. Did you know Israel never possessed all the land that God promised that they would possess? So are you familiar with God? He keeps his promises. How does he keep his promises? To the last little jot and tittle. The last little grain of sand he'll keep. So the, though the, to this moment in history, the Jews have never possessed what God said they would possess. So what's that mean? That means someday they're going to possess it, right? Because God's going to keep his word. Well, that's the millennial period. So much spoken about. By the way, this whole eighth chapter talks about this period of time. When there will be a time that the Jews will be envied. They will be looked up to. And, of course, it will because the millennial period is when God fulfills his promises. I mean, every one of them fulfills it to the Jewish nation. I don't think it'll happen before that. The tribulation period is going to come. Uh, the Jews are going to suffer tremendous persecution by the serpent. The serpent's going to try to wipe them out one more time. Going to try to have the ultimate holocaust. And Jesus is just about when you think he's winning, Jesus is going to come back. 
and he's going to come back here, and he's going to slay them with the word of his mouth, and he's going to straighten things out. He's going to make the crooked things straight, again, the Bible says. How many of you in your heart, you don't have to raise your hand this time, but how many of you in your heart would like to see the crooked things made straight? How many would you like to see justice flow like rivers in this land? And, and, and man, that's going to be a beautiful time of, of, of rejoicing for this world. Now, let me say this. Where are you and I going to be then? We're going to be have already have died and we're going to have been, we're all stood as born again Christians before the judgment seat of Christ, and we already will have received our new bodies. You remember that scripture where it says the Christian will rule and reign with Christ? Well, where are you going to do that? You're going to do that on the, on the rejuvenated earth, and where, where Christ is ruling out of Jerusalem, out of the city of Jerusalem, has come down from God. And he's going to rule and reign 1,000 years, and he's going to make things right with the Jews. He's going to fulfill every one of the promises to their last jot and tittle to them about their inhabiting of the land. They'll be, and this is going to be a strange time never before experienced on earth. There's going to be immortal people. That means like the born-again Christian with his new body who's never going to die, who is absolutely perfect, who, who has no faults, uh, who, who has a body like unto Christ, are going to rule and reign with and over mortal people like you and me. The ones who survive the tribulation period, and there won't be a lot of them, but there'll be some survive the tribulation period and enter into the millennial period in their mortal bodies. You can look at that. That's found in Matthew chapter 25. And so those people that enter into the millennial period, for the most part, are going to be friendly or love Christ and the, and, the, and the church, and it's going to be a time of, what a deal. That's what this is talking about here. It says uh, the, these mortal people, they're going to find other mortal people called Jews, and it says, we will go with you. Go with you where? To, the, to Jerusalem. For we have heard that God is with you. Now, I'll tell you what, that phrase that God is with you, that tweaked me a little bit. That is a powerful statement, for God is with you. We have heard. Uh, we say it like this, rumor has it, rumor has it that God is with you. I wonder what the rumor about you is. I wonder what people rumor about you. See, you get, you know, is all rumor true? No. But usually in rumor, there's some seeds of truth. And these 10 people come to this true and say, hey, we've heard the rumor. But we believe by, by, what, by actions and what we, that, that maybe God is with you. Man, I would hope that people, when they hear the name Bill Lytell, they don't say, he's a no good bum. I hope they say, he's sweet. Tender. A child of the living God. We have heard that God is with him. I have to give up the sweet part. But we've heard that God is with him. Man, that's what I want. That's what I want to, I want to have that. How did Paul say it? Paul said in Romans 8.31, he said, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, you know it, don't you? Who can be against us? Brother, in your Christian life, one thing you want is God with you. 
you know, cut through the detail, cut through all the lists, and get down to you need God with you. Now, you say, well, Brother Bill, when I got saved, you know, you can get technical on me, right? You get doctrinal on me. You say, oh, I got saved, the Holy Spirit, he came in to dwell with me forever and never leave me. And that's all doctrinally true. But God is, when, I, when I'm speaking of God with you, I mean God with you. I mean he's happy with you. He's favored. You know, you could be married and have your wife with you, but not with you. I don't want to hear too many amens on that one. <laughs> you, I, have, I have done a few things where my wife was with me, but she wasn't with me. Amen, man? That's right. But I don't want my wife just physically, bodily with me. I want her, if I may say it, for me. If God be with, if God be, who can be against you? I want God for me, amen? Or maybe I should put it, maybe before that can happen, I got to be for God. That may not hurt some marriages either, man. Before your wife is with you, maybe you need to help her a little too. Be with her. Is this not what we need, really, as Christians, as a nation? The Christian life is only as good or bad or as effective or ineffective as the degree that God is with you. And I'll explain that theologically. All our behavior and response is determinative, I believe, to the, to the degree this is true or false. If you're, give an example. If you live lukewarm, most of you under the, uh, I've read the Bible enough to know in Revelation chapter 3, he talks to a church, uh, Laodicea, and he says to him, he says, you're lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold. I would have you either be hot or cold, but if you're not, you're lukewarm, and I want to spew you out of my mouth. That's a kind phraseology there. It means he got sick, he got nauseous. I, I, I tell you, there's a lot of bad things in life, but being nauseous is one of the real top, it's got to be the top two or three, Amen. I've had gout pain where I wanted to cry and, and, and have God take me home. I've had migraines where I got in a fetal position and thought I was dying would have to be better. But nausea? Nausea is just prolonged misery. I mean, I've been out on the ocean before when I've been sick early on, and I've been sick all day long. How bad does time go slow when you have nausea? All you women that had babies and were sick said, one, my heart really hurts me when I hear a woman get pregnant and she's what they call morning sickness, which oftentimes turns into all-day sickness, 24-hour sickness, and in some, some slight cases, they're sick that way the whole nine months. And then here's what amazes me about women, man. Here's what amazes me about women. Nick, take notes on this. They go through that nine months of absolute misery. Some of them have that bed rest. They throw up and throw up and throw up and throw up and throw up. They have the baby. They heal up. And they want to have another one. I want to say dumb is, dumb does. I mean, man, if you made, I'm, Tom, if you made me that sick for nine months, there would be no more babies after that. The, the man goes, you want to have another what? He goes, 
oh, I want to have another baby. He goes, hey, why not? We don't care. When a person lives a lukewarm life, what happens? The Holy Spirit in you gets grieved, doesn't he? If it makes him nauseous, that's not something you like to, if, if, if Brother Irvine, if you got nauseous, I'm not going to ask you, will you go out for some ribs? You want to go out for some steak? I could put the nicest uh, shrimp and butter, uh, uh, you know, with a little garlic on it in front of you. But if you're nauseous, brother, that looks like, Ugh, no, no. When the Bible says when we live lukewarm, that's just we're, we're not all in and we're not all out. He says, you're making me sick to my stomach. That's a horrible place to be. And, and he says, now, the Bible makes it clear. I'm not going to go into the verses for the sake of time, but the Bible says we have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit, and we have the ability to quench the Holy Spirit. Now, grieving the Holy Spirit means to pull back. Quench means to pull back. So we have the power, even though we have the Spirit indwelling in us forever, we do not have the power to lose him, but we sure do have the power to reduce him. We can reduce the Holy Spirit in his effectiveness in our life by our choices, by our free will choices, whether we make good choices or bad choices. But God wants to help us. He wants to bless our life. He wants to show us Jesus. He wants to show Jesus through us to other people. He wants to allow us to enjoy the whole array of good things that he has in store for us. I want you, I'm sharing this with you because I love you and I want you to have this. But take your Bible to Psalm 34. Maybe one of the more encouraging places of the whole book. Psalm 34, 10 through 19. I've gone to this thing so many times in my struggles, it said the young lions, it, it, Psalm 34, 10 through 19, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Woo! Woo, have a spell. You don't need any other thing. I'm going on, but that alone, if you stopped right there, woo! I quote that. I got that memorized. Come, you children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is he... What man is he that desires life and loveth many days, and he will see good? And everybody said, me. I want, I want to love life. I want to see good days. Keep thy tongue from evil. That's, it goes into performance for the next two verses. There's, there's a way to keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. I can tell you, you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in the New Testament, you can't control the tongue. It says, you, can, you know, hey, you cannot control the tongue. Without God, you can't control it. You want to see a good life, many days, God's blessing, you got to have the tongue under control. To have the tongue under control, you need God. But you don't just need him with you. You need him with you. You need him there in full power. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open under their cry. How do you like that? When that, when that big old wind was going by my house, because we were on the northeast side of that, the eye went over my house. I got trees laying both ways. How do you know the eye went over your house? You got trees laying all four directions. And the face of the Lord is against them that do evil and cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, I did. And the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. How many? Amen, brother. The Lord is nigh unto them that were broken heart and, and, and saved with such of a contrite spirit. And this is uh, Dick Anderson of Community Baptist Church's favorite verse. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. I'll never forget the old boy for that. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. That's a great, encouraging passage. That's what God wants for you and me. He wants that. This is the ultimate prayer. And, and this, this verse in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 24, really is the ultimate prayer, if I may say, dream of life as a Christian, is to have God with me and to be where God wants me to be. David said it this way. Most of you know Psalm 23. You know, my wife went, I'm just going to say this. I said it once before. I may say it again. I may say it three, four more times. I don't even remember I said it. My wife goes to a funeral. And if she's here today, don't correct me publicly on this if I make some little innuendo mistakes. I've had some real rows over that. Be telling a story, man, getting in the heat of the story. And my wife says, uh, there were 20, not 21. I said, I married 47 years still going over the same stuff. Heaven's my home. My wife, this uh, whoever the preacher was at this funeral made a grave error. He said, let's all quote Psalm 23. Well, 50 years ago, that would have worked just fine. You could all got up. And said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pasture. He leadeth me beside the, you know, and you could quote Psalm 23, and, and, and as a group, you could quote it in unison, and it would be beautiful. And brother, she said that people started quoting that thing in every version imaginable. And it was just confusion. And to where it didn't work, it just didn't work. Isn't that sad? We've lost that. That's, that's something serious, to lose that kind of unity among us. But in Psalm 23, the last verse is always, years ago, it doesn't mystify me now, hopefully, because I'm going to preach on it in a minute, but it mystified me for years. Uh, he, and it says, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I like that, amen? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the what? House of the Lord forever. Now, wait a minute. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I used to think, why would anybody want to dwell in the house of the Lord? That's crazy. I want to be out fishing and hunting and doing other stuff. I don't want to be dwelling in God's house. But I was stupid. I didn't know the full understanding and meaning that David did. In, in Psalm 27, verse 4, a few down the road from 23, he says it again. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then he kind of gives you a little bit of hint why he wants to do that. He says, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. Now, you may be sitting there like I was sitting there for so many years wondering why would anybody want to dwell in the house of the Lord but I did not understand what it meant to be around God. Well, let me tell you a few things it means to be around God. Number one, to be around God, you're, you're residing around all real beauty. This is a fallen world. 
full of sin, full of strife and trouble, and unbelievable. But look at the sunsets we have. Look at the sun rises. Well, some of you don't know the sun rises gradually, but look at the sun rises. Look, look, look at the red bird. Look at the fox squirrel. Look, look at around at what's made. You're getting ready to go deer hunting, I heard. Think of me when you go up there, will you? And, and the beauty that God, look, dive, go on a reef and look at, look at, look at what's there. Look at the array of insects. Look at the beauty of a mosquito. You know, a mosquito is a marvelous creature, a marvelous creature. Look at the magnificence of a fire ant, an enduring creature. Somebody told me to feed a fire ant powdered grits. And if you fed the fire ant powdered grits, they would eat it, go drink some water, and blow up. It's wrong. It's wrong. They lied to you, brother. I put, I went and got powdered grits. I put it on the fire ant mound. They thanked me and said, if you think we're that dumb, you're going to have to learn a little bit about fire ants. And they're, they're healthier now than they were. The mound doubled. Could we do some more? So I put some of that little... Uh, Ophelene on them. They didn't like that so well. But anyway, the beauty of the Lord. Everything is beautiful. God has made this really beautiful. I know Satan's made some things that are lusty, but God makes real beauty. I want to be there. How about you? I want to be there. Uh, uh, wherever purity is, that's where God is. Well, I don't, there, there's some deeply satisfying things about purity. You know what's beautiful about being a Christian? Just living for Jesus. You wake up in the morning and your conscience is clear. Remember when you used to go out partying all weekend and then Monday you barely made it to work? Your conscience was defiled and you had done people wrong and it bothered you in the night? That's why people got music on all the time. That's why they got noise on all the time because they can't stand to be by themselves. Because that voice starts talking to them, and they don't like what that voice is telling them because their conscience has been defiled. Boy, a born-again Christian whose sins are under the blood, he can, he can have it absolutely quiet and talk to God and have a purity about it. Boy, that's what David knew. David knew that wherever God was, there was beauty. David knew wherever God was, there was purity. And really, if I may put this in the right context, wherever God is, there's true and honest pleasure. Pleasure without remorse. And wherever God is, there's, the Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Are those not good things? Are they not things that make you secure and make you happy and make you have joy? Brother, that's where God is. That's where I want to be. And, and, and so when these 10 people come to that Jew and say, hey, we've heard that God is with you, that's where you want to be. You want your neighbors to say, hey, God's with them, that person. 
You, you want the community to say, hey, God, God's down at Gospel Baptists. Uh, God's at Gospel. They may not like what we stand for because they don't like what God stands for. They may not like us being against this or against that, but, but brother, they don't want, you want to make sure they can't deny that God's with you. God is with you. The Bible says the world passed away the lusts thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We've heard that God is with you. It's the ultimate compliment. It's the goal of every Christian life. It's, been, it's said, by the way, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 25 says, Thus are the secrets of, the, of his heart made manifest, so that falling down on his face, he worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Talking to the church at Corinth, he's saying, by the way, uh, when they come in and you're speaking in tongues, uh, they're going to think you're mad. He says, but if you're prophesying, that's what we're doing right now, and they come in and they're convicted and the secrets of their heart are revealed by the Holy Spirit. I've had people leave here and say, you've been spying on me. I thought they were kidding. They weren't. I've had people, hundreds of people through the years saying, how did you know that this week I was doing that? I say, I didn't know, but God knew. He moved me to preach the sermon, moved you to be here, and is talking to you right now by the Holy Spirit to move away from that. You get it? By the foolishness of preaching, God will save them to believe. Brother, if you hear that still small voice, listen. People are groping, they're looking, they're seeking, they're hoping to find God. God has showed himself through the church. How are they going to see God? Is they're going to see God through you or they're not going to see him? Wow. 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 The responsibility of that is huge. I feel like two inches shorter all of a sudden. I can't afford it. If, God, if the world's going to see Jesus, it's going to see it through you and through me. Jesus said, he didn't say he was the light of the world. He said, you were the light of the world. He didn't say he was the salt of the earth. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Because when you get saved, and we just talked about this, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, the Holy Spirit comes in you. Uh, John 14, I think it's verse 23, says he'll never leave you. Forever he's going to be with you, and on and on and on. The Bible goes in John 14, 15, and 16, speaks more about that. He's going to show you truth, walk in truth. He's going to teach you. You can't know the Bible without the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit dwelling in you, which speaks of Jesus, by the way, if you allow him to do his work, he will manifest a light from you, and he will manifest Jesus through you. That's what's so horrible about a born-again Christian not wanting to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and not wanting to cooperate with the Word of God. The Bible says, study to show thyself approve a workman needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. You need to get in the Bible, read what God wants you to be. He will transform you through the reading and through the meditation and through that running over your mind, and He will begin to manifest His thoughts, His values, His ideas through you. The world will look at you and say, God's with them. And they may even ask the question, how can I know him? That's the beauty of it. 
The world, Jesus is not here on earth walking around saying, you need to be saved. You need to know me. Who is? Jesus, the Bible says, real clear on the right hand of the throne of the Father on high. That's where he's at right now, making intercession for you and me. He's not here. Who's here? The Holy Spirit. Where's he at? He's in us. Where are you at? You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can hinder him from doing the job that he wants to do, which is to reach the world, which is to let them see that God is with you. And so God wants to manifest himself in and through you if you will allow it. To the degree you allow it, people will see God and they'll want to know him. Does that scare you a little bit? That does me. Does that make you sit back and weigh the importance of your life? Does that make you realize how vital you really are? How necessary you are? I believe backslidden Christians will send many people to hell. Backslidden Christians will send many people to hell. You can tell I'm not a Calvinist. You can tell I'm not a Calvinist. See, Calvinists don't believe what I just said there. They do not believe that. And consequently, they don't care. Backslidden Christians miss what God is trying to do. They misunderstand God. They misrepresent God. And, and, and if I may say this, they sour people on God. How many times have you talked to someone and said, I ain't going to be no Christian because I knew a deacon one time that was a deacon. Oh, he was holy on Sunday, but he owned a car dealership. And on Monday, he'd rip your head off. He'd rip you off. He wouldn't service He's what he sold. Or they come up with some of a hundred different excuses that they saw misbehavior in God's people. Instead of saying God was with those folks, they were saying God wasn't with those folks. Those folks are liars. There's not really a God. The sad thing is they made a false conclusion. And eventually they will come and stand before Jesus and say, you are Lord. But it will be too late. It's so important that you live a holy life. It's so important that you let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life. It's so important that you get behind a local, fundamental, independent King James Bible church and promote what is going on into the community and in the missions program and in the bus ministry and the door-to-door and every way possible by the grace of God before your life is extinguished because it will be. Your candle will go out. Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy of the vocation wherein you were called. Colossians 1.10 says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, that you might walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Brother, don't give me that deal. They're going to be saved one way or another no matter what. Don't give me that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you're to walk worthy. Why are you to walk worthy? You're to walk worthy because it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Ten men will grab the skirt of a Jew and say, 
We've heard that God's with you. We want to go with you. Oh, would to God, would to God in this old world that little Billy could have some people go to heaven because he lived. Oh, would to God that somehow some people will be in heaven because I've lived. And would to God some people will be in heaven because you've lived. May God make it so. Father, help us this morning to understand the importance of our lives. Forgive us where we've, the devil himself tries to tell you don't make any difference. But the Bible doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. Holy Spirit doesn't say that. Father, help us to live in such a way that we would let your light shine. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. May Lord Jesus forgive us where we're doing something, watching something, saying things, doing anything that would hinder the Holy Spirit's work in us. Make us aware of it. We'll turn from it. Repent of it. Turn from it. Restore us into the image that we once lost. Father, there could be some here today without Christ as their personal Savior. You, you saw some hip, hypocrite named a Christian. You say, well, all Christians must be. No, all Christians are not that way. And I wouldn't want to go to hell because of a hypocrite. I wouldn't want to spend eternity away from God and all that is, all that is called God, the beauty and the purity, because of some hypocrite preacher, some hypocrite deacon, or some hypocrite member. I'm not going to hell because of hypocrites. You don't have to either. Because not, Jesus will never disappoint you. Jesus will never do anything cause you to be ashamed. Why don't you come and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? He was the altogether lovely one. He was the perfect one. The rose of Sharon. The lily of the valley. The bright morning star. Come to Christ. Ask Him to save you. Forgive you. As a Christian, maybe you've been misrepresenting Jesus how do you know that? Oh, the Holy Spirit will let you know. Why don't you come back and say, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. Forgive me. Forgive me for being lukewarm. Forgive me for being careless. Forgive me for being half-hearted. Help me to be 100%. Lord, help us. Lord, this thing's all over. Some people will be in heaven because we lived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.